From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the new Blue Review. Welcome to the program. If you're listening on highfm.com or 101.9 Hi FM, or indeed if you're listening to us on the Jerusalem Post, it is good to be with you on the show today and uh, bringing you, as we always do on the new Blue Review, experts and insights from all over the Jewish world about what is going on in Jewish current affairs. And I'm particularly excited today because of the amazing expert that we have on the line with us today. Now, Naomi Chazan, she is a long-time uh, Israeli political activist, MK and academic, and uh, we're going to be talking to her about a range of things, but especially her involvement in Africa and African affairs, which is her academic uh, perspective. Naomi, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being with us here on the new Blue Review. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, uh, first of all, if I could just ask, how does an Israeli academic end up doing so much research into the issue of Africa. I mean, you've, you've produced numerous books from uh, Ga- about Ghana to uh, other aspects about uh, different time periods in Africa. How is this something that you became interested in? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I was uh, studying in New York at the time and uh, took one course on African politics, which led to a second course which led to a third, which led to an MA, which led to a PhD. And uh, most I would say by inertia and fascination, a combination of both. Uh, I, uh, my field is comparative politics, and uh, I concentrated for 25 years on Africa. I've since spread my wings and have entered the true jungle of Israeli politics. So um, I have a long love affair with African politics. Well, one might say that uh, doing ap- academic training when it comes to Africa might be a good start if one wanted to try and figure out what was going on in Israeli politics. So uh, uh, perhaps <laughs> that was a, a good way to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that I thought about Israeli politics in an activist sense at the beginning, but in any event, I... Uh, my ongoing fascination with African politics is because it's a microcosm of political issues. And if you follow what's going on in Africa very carefully, in many senses it's a prelude to problems that arise uh, later on in other parts of the world. So, in a sense, studying African politics is getting an extraordinary grasp of the many nuances of politics in general. So, particularly from the aspect of African politics in terms of the Israeli angle, I mean, it is a story that was the story, if you like, of Israeli diplomacy for some uh, perspectives from the 50s and 60s. Uh, and then, you know, it's kind of been resurrected a, a, now a little bit as well, which we'll, we'll talk about. But do you think that sort of the history of African-Israeli politics has been forgotten a little bit? Yes, inevitably. Uh a topic of uh, Israel's relations or relations between countries uh, peaks or sometimes uh, uh, dwindles, depending on how important it is, how central it is uh, in the narrative of various countries. 
And Africa was very central to Israeli diplomacy in the late 50s and, and the better part of the 1960s. Uh, later on, it, it became an example, actually, of, uh, of, of, of failure of Israeli diplomacy. And in recent dec- decades, it's been indicative of, of uh, various facets of Israel's international relations, but it's never actually succeeded in regaining the prominence it had in the very early years of African independence. Yes, I mean it's very it's very interesting that you you talk about the prominence. I mean, if you if you look at some of the great leaders of the African Revolution, whether it's Kwame Nkrumah or Jomo Kenyatta, uh, Haile Selassie from e- uh, Ethiopia, uh, Kenneth Kaunda from Zambia, if you look back into those archives, you'll see some remarkable things that uh, African leaders were saying about Israel, about friendship with the Jews, about their support for Zionism. That I think would would be considered unfair thinkable today uh, if you looked at the international regime. So it's really interesting that it was so prominent and that, uh, you know, so many people don't really know what, what went on. Yes, but this was a different period for Israel as well. Israel was in a different place uh, in the late 1950s, early 1960s. Israel was virtually isolated from uh, the emerging world, the third world. It had not been invited to Bandung, which was the first conference of a so-called non-aligned uh, countries. But Israel, at the time, it's hard to remember, was not really absolutely associated with the West, quite the contrary. It, it saw itself as a post-colonial country. It was a, a underdeveloped or developing country uh, if, if we're extremely generous. It had colonial experiences. It, it had uh, very similar experiences in decolonization. And it developed a philosophy of, of cooperating with African states because they shared similar historical experiences. But over the years, uh, Israel uh, began to redefine itself in the global arena, and it has been viewed differently in the global arena. Uh, so what Nkrumah or uh, Julius Nyerere or Kenyatta or, uh, oh, Kaunda you mentioned, uh, thought in the 1960s was true of the 1960s, but it probably is not true today. One of the key things that was the shifting of that particular, as you say, the image of Israel in the world and uh, this particular, uh, you know, issue of, of the African states was the the several wars that Israel fought, 67, and in particular, 73. Can you talk to us a little bit about how those changed uh, Israel's relations with Africa? Oh, very, very easily. Look, the first period was from Angana's independence in 57, Till 67, 67 was the beginning of the big shift because Israel uh, captured territories of a founding member of the Organization of African Unity, Egypt. And uh, the terminology is important. 
in African eyes. And that led for, uh, to, to a first series of breaks. The most prominent, by the way, was Guinea, uh, immediately after the Six-Day War. But relations began to wane in, after the Six-Day War, partly because of the very clear shift of Israel to the West, uh, p- partly because of an Arab pushback uh, on the continent, and uh, partly because of, of, of the disappointment with uh, the lack of progress during uh, the first decade of independence. When, uh, uh, on the eve of the 1973 war, uh, some countries had begun already to uh, uh, break relations, diplomatic relations with Israel, and that reached a peak during uh, the three weeks of the 1973 war, the Yom Kippur War, and immediately after that. By the end of 1973, virtually every country on the continent had broken uh, diplomatic relations with Israel. Besides a handful, um, mostly in the southern part of the continent, uh, Malawi, Lesotho, South Africa, of course, uh, at the time as well. And, and, and that left Israel isolated, not only in Africa, but by the way, also in various international forums. This was a period I, I usually call the divorce. And, and it lasted until the late uh, 1970s, early 1980s. It was a real, it is still regarded in Israeli diplomatic history as uh, the biggest failure of Israeli diplomacy. And of course it was this direct failure, as you say, uh, in terms of relations with the African states that led to things like the Zionism is racism resolution in uh, the UN because uh, the guy who was driving that particular resolution was Idi Amin uh, and he was able to pull a substantial number of African countries, although by no means all of them, uh, around and that gave the sort of third world Russia, Arab states a, a, a automatic majority in the UN where they could pass uh, things like... That was part of, part of the reason. I'm not sure Idi Amin was the only person opposed to uh, there were other uh, countries also that posted. But, but another part of the matter actually deals with South Africa. Uh, Israel decided uh, to upgrade its relations and, uh, and with South Africa after the rupture, uh, with most of Sub-Saharan Africa in 1973 was in a sense uh, an emotional, uh, reaction to the break-in relations, and a part of the Zionism is racism resolution was also a response of many African states to the improvement of ties with apartheid South Africa. Uh, and by the way, if you look carefully at the resolution, you will see that, camp- that wording in the resolution itself. Uh, comparing Zionism, racism, apartheid, etc. It, it exists in the resolution itself. But it allowed for, you're absolutely correct, a coalition 
which was very, very difficult uh, for Israel. And it took about 10 years to undo that resolution in the UN. First, by the way, in a, a women's forum in Nairobi, uh, but later that very same year, 1985, in, in uh, the UN itself. It's interesting that you talk about South Africa because, of course, that is the sort of fraught uh, diplomatic uh, thing which is people remember around Israeli diplomacy at that time running up into the 80s. But I think what a lot of people don't know is that because of Israel's strong relationship with sub-Saharan Africa from about the 50s all the way up to the rupture with the with the African states was that you actually had Israel being, if you think of it as a Western country, one of the most uh, fierce opponents of apartheid South Africa inside the UN itself in, in terms of it being a Western country. Absolutely. Um, uh, Israel downgraded its relations with South Africa when it and fostered relations with the newly independent states in the early 1960s. It actually actively supported anti-apartheid resolutions in the UN. It, it even gave, uh, uh, by the way, a very paltry contribution at the time to African liberation movements in southern Africa. So, uh, Israel's stance on apartheid was very, very clear. And again, I, I have to re- repeat that with the rupture of relations came an upgrading of relations with South Africa and a very different image that Israel uh, actually uh, created for itself with uh, uh, South Africa at the time. Yeah, certainly is a very interesting, uh, as you say, reversal and uh, shows how these sorts of things operate in the international uh, relations realm. And it is superbly interesting. And we are on the line with the new Blue Review. I'm Benji Shulman. We're speaking to Naomi Khazan. She is an Africa expert academic as well as longtime uh, Israeli political activist and MK. And we're talking to her a little bit about uh, Israel's move into Africa and uh, Africa's uh, you know, view uh, inside Israel as well We've been talking about some of the history And when we come back we're going to be looking back Into what is going on now More recently in terms of Israel's Response to Africa-Israel relations From talk to music From Johannesburg to Israel From sport to business This is 101.9 High FM. Now, Naomi, uh, let's, as I say, go a little yes. bit further forward. Uh, we've kind of discussed okay. the history a little bit uh, and spoken about, uh, you know, what happened in the past and what led to the situation. Uh, about 10 years ago, you started, I don't know, maybe you started, but you had certainly been writing about uh, the Africa-Israel relationship and started talking about how there might be a sort of a rapprochement, how there are the puzzle pieces were coming together for for a potential alliance or, or engagement again with Israel and Africa. And I would have to say sort of strongly along the lines which Bibi Netanyahu is now pursuing as one of his key 
international uh, processes. From from your perspective, how do you uh, see this process unfolding at the moment? And uh, does it uh, look a little bit like you predicted, or, or is it going in a different direction? Well, let me take it and make some points very, very briefly. Number one, Israel really never left Africa. Even during the period that there were no diplomatic times, uh, non-diplomatic relations, there were Israelis everywhere, uh, business people, academics, uh, 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 Israeli companies on the ground, uh, even some Israeli aid. Uh, a lot, by the way, most of Israeli military connections with Africa developed after the rupture and during the period of absolute uh, severance. So that's point number one. Uh, point number two, when when uh, many African states got disillusioned with the Arab connection in the late 70s, early 80s, they did not come rushing back to Israel. Um, uh, they were still very wary of the Western connection, but also very wary of Israel's ongoing ties with apartheid of Africa in the 90, 1980s. So it was a very slow process. What made, and that's the third point, the real difference was, the, frankly, the 1993 Oslo Agreement, which opened up Israel's uh, diplomatic relations once again dramatically. And there was a real resumption of relations but frankly, Israel wasn't that interested. Israel had developed ties, was developing ties with uh, the East, with uh, China and India, much uh, greater clients than uh, African states. And the Africans were knocking on the door, and Israel was not really responding. And I have to make that very clear. From the last 25 years, Relations to exist, but Israel wasn't that interested. What's, what's changed in the last few years? And, and I really don't think it's much more than three or four years to be precise. That Israel has begun to understand, just as I understood it in the 1950s, that African states are very important. If Israel wants some support in the international arena, and that would explain um, then Foreign Minister's Avigdor uh, Lieberman's trip uh, to Africa a few years ago, and Netanyahu's trip to Africa as well. Uh, from that point of view, what has really changed in the last few years is. Israeli leaders are beginning to understand that Africa is important. What I'm not sure has been understood uh, by the present government is that on issues of Israel and Palestine, the African position is is very firm. They are key proponents in international forum of national self-determination. And uh, to expect them to uh, uh, dramatically shift their position is is not reasonable. It, what is reasonable is to expect that there'll be more interchange and perhaps support on other issues. 
certainly is uh, some interesting points that you're making. Uh, the one that strikes me the most is where you say Israel never left Africa. Of course, the famous Entebbe raid uh, stopped off in Kenya uh, as a, as a yeah. stop-off base where officially there were no actual ties. Uh, so I suppose that's a nice, right. one nice illustration of that. And uh, I'd like to get into the sort of current uh, ties, as you say, what, what the Africans are likely to do or not to do. And we had that interesting issue of Senegal uh, voting in the resolution uh, just the other day uh, and causing a bit of a, a diplomatic kerfuffle. Uh, but one aspect... Uh, by, by I, yeah. way, it, it, I'm sorry to interrupt mm. you. It's, it's Senegal and Angola are members of the um, were members of the Security Council at the time. Uh, but then they got along with New Zealand and Malaysia and uh, uh, one other country uh, were the initiators of the resolution on the Senate, on, on, on the settlements in late December. Um, yes, now you can continue the question. I was just correcting the Yes, of course, they were the originators, not just uh, the voters, which I think was, was yeah. partly what led to the sort of quite aggressive pushback by the Israeli state uh, around aid projects, uh, etc. And and the aid projects is what I actually want to talk to you about. You know, one of the things which which kind of allowed the program to collapse, if you like, was the fact that aid hasn't always been that effective in some of the African countries, there were issues of undercapitalization and uh, skills transfer issues and cultural clashes and all sorts of things. And uh, there were some very interesting aid projects that uh, I think still exist in, in, in Africa, which I think were, are worth talking about. But beyond that, do you think that the aid that is now being given uh, to African countries as part of these agreements that we're seeing, do you think that we've learned lessons as uh, as people doing diplomacy or the Israeli state or NGOs, whatever they are, about the, the best way to do aid uh, and work with partners on the ground since the 50s and the 60s? Uh, look, I don't think it was, uh, it was intriguing always in the 50s or 60s and today. But Israeli aid in, in the 60s, it was the height of Israeli aid, um, to Africa was one quarter of one percent of total aid to Africa, a drop in the ocean, really a drop in the sea. In terms of quantity, very, very little. Part, part of the interesting aspect was his technical assistance, but with lots of mistakes and adaptation. To answer your question uh, directly, uh, I don't think anybody has found the real formula for aid uh, uh, since uh, the end of World War II. Uh, and there's constant experimentation. I actually was, and still am opposed to the way Israel reacted to Senegal, and by the way, also to Angola. It decided to withdraw the aid immediately to punish these countries. I'm not sure that's a way to make friends and influence people on the continent. And just recently, um, Israel decided uh, not to return uh, its ambassador to Dakar, and uh, one can disagree with a country, but, but to uh, withhold relations or at the ambassadorial level 
with a country like Sertnagan, which is extremely influential, and not only in the Francophone world, but also the Muslim world, is not, I don't think, necessarily serves Israel's interests. So it's a question of judgment how one deals with these issues. I certainly think it is quite uh, interesting. Senegal, before this, was seen as something of a a coup, particularly in West Africa, uh, a Muslim state uh, to some extent, um, and uh, also, as you say, very influential in West Africa. And and there had been quite a number of of increased uh, and interesting ties. So it's perhaps unfortunate that uh, that that those have kind of been held up by the current politics. Yes, that's that's what I was saying. I I think it was an error in judgment to push back in that way. It's also not the the right kind of attitude one wants to transmit when when one's trying to improve relations because it reeks a certain amount of condescension, which is exactly not not what, what you want to do when you're nurturing relations that are very important to you, and I think very important to the other side as well. So, uh, in, in a sense, it, it, it creates a, a sense of uh, patronage. You have to, you know, agree with us or else. And that's not, that's not going to pass in Africa today. Now, I want to just go back slightly what you were saying about the, the aid aspect and like how you can make aid effective. And you spoke about uh, technical support and uh, these sorts of things which African countries need. I mean, certainly if you go back to the 60s, there's some very interesting interventions when you're talking about, uh, you know, the training of doctors at the Weizmann Institute and nurses and policemen and uh, even sometimes military training, which was a big thing. Uh, right. I, I believe even the Sierra Leonean parliament was was built by Israelis and a lot of uh, a, a lot Israeli companies. Israeli companies. So, One so, has to distinguish them between government acts and public corporations, and, uh, and uh, obviously uh, uh, private business people who. Are all over the country. So, so that was actually what, what was going to be my question was that a lot of those initiatives that I was talking about in the 50s and 60s, given where the state was at the time, were, were largely public sector driven. So the question is is there a bigger place this time around in a, for a more official capacity for Israeli business to get involved in the continent? Well, I, again, the business has been involved in the con- uh, continent regardless of the state of diplomatic relations consistently for the past 50, 60 years, and is probably on the rise. Uh, the issue raises very important, and that is how much is very public involvement there will be, and not just private involvement. Don't forget that private uh, undertakings um, sometimes don't show the better face of Israel, if I put it mildly. And they're definitely not under Israeli control, including much of the military uh, uh, links that exist even uh, to this very day. Much of the training, military training, is done by by private Israeli companies, over which Israel has, the government has really no control almost whatsoever. 
And um, for anybody looking from outside, it's all Israeli. But there are different kinds of Israel, as we all know. Yes, absolutely. Now, moving on perhaps to the issue that you say in terms of the diplomacy. So we've kind of spoken a bit about the Palestinian issue in particular. Uh, and uh, before the the settlement uh, resolution in the UN, there was perhaps some uh, some successes, you could say, that uh, Africans were abstaining in certain forums which uh, were assisting the Israelis and all sorts of things. Uh, what other issues that you alluded to earlier? Do you think that uh, the Africans will be interested in supporting the Israelis on? I don't know if I would put it in support. But whether she's injures uh, African leaders, obviously the uh, various issues related to development have always been important. But again, the different states have different priorities at this stage. Um, uh, issues of education and, and, and by the way, uh, the digital age is very important in Africa just as it is in other parts as well. Uh, advantages in the high tech interest, uh, industry of, of great interest to, uh, in certain parts of the continent. Um, agriculture has always been uh, an Israeli forte uh, and therefore that is Interest goes on and on and on, and 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 there may be some interest related to Israel as a funnel, a vehicle uh, to certain countries in the West. I, I think in the last few years that may be waning, and I haven't been able to. Nobody has been able to understand exactly where. Uh, the Trump administration will be going on these questions related to Africa. I'm not sure they have a policy at the moment. And that will also affect the Israeli relationship. And let me add one other area which is very important, which didn't really exist earlier on. And, and that's the whole fear of, uh, uh the expansion of uh, militant Islam on the continent. Uh, that's something that's bothering uh, many countries in eastern uh, West Africa today. Yeah, certainly, I think that the issue of terrorism and uh, militant uh, Islamist groups is, is certainly something that's driving, I, I imagine, particularly the East and West. I mean, the other thing which uh, perhaps is an important question is also that uh, of immigrants and refugees. Uh, and so now you have expat populations that are living uh, in Israel from a, a number, particularly Horn of Africa countries, uh, which is also affecting those sorts of policies. Where, where do you see that issue going in terms of state-to-state level? I have a very interesting question. Look, Israel has diplomatic relations and an Eritrea. Part of that is a long-standing strategic interest in the area of the Horn of Africa on Israel's part. And maybe parenthetically, let me stress, Israel's interests in Africa have not altered in over 60, 70 years. What's changed is the nature of relations, but not the interests themselves. Um, but uh, frankly, uh, two-thirds of the refugees still in uh, 
asylum seekers still uh, in Israel are from Eritrea. Uh, and there's an international agreement against repatriating them to, to Eritrea, given uh, the abysmal uh, human rights record of that country. And about a third, a little less, are from Sudan, and that also is a problem. But quite honestly, um, this has not been a major issue, except for particular countries. Uh, Uganda, Rwanda have agreed to take in some refugees repatriated to Africa, uh, in return for, it's not quite clear, but um, the experience is not tremendously good and uh, it's creating more problems than anything else. So uh, what would you say then, uh, in, from an immigrant perspective, that there, is, there, is there a solution to be found? Do Israelis need to be updating their policies and uh, to, so that they can try and accommodate these sorts of things? Or is it more like the South Sudan approach where uh, those people were sort of repatriated once the war had died down there? Um, and, uh, for the Sudan, Sudan situation, Israel repatriated southern Sudanese, not Darfuris, for example, still in Israel. And, and that proved to be a fairly uh, horrific human rights disaster because we know what the situation now is in, in South Sudan, and uh, it's not very good at all. Uh, to answer your question, Israel does not have a clear policy on the issue, and that's precisely the problem. I, I agree with you. It, I think now that there is no incoming immigration or migration of uh, refugees from Africa to Israel, Israel can easily afford to absorb the, I think it's now about 43,000. Uh, quite long-standing asylum seekers uh, w- without suffering any ill effects. But that's a, a totally different question that relates to Israeli politics and not necessarily to Israel-Africa relations. Certainly, certainly. And uh, we're speaking here to Naomi Khazan. She is a ac- Africa academic and long-time political activist on the Israeli scene. And we've been talking a little bit about Israel, Africa, the history, and where it is that relations are likely to be going in the future. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. So, Naomi, talking of which about the future, so Netanyahu has kind of, as you say, pushed forward more openly in his Africa approach. Also, Lieberman was part of that process. As you said, we're not sure about what Trump is going to do. What do you see for the future in terms of where Israel is going with Africa? Oh, okay. Finally, I could uh, actually enunciate the sentence that I should have said at the beginning of the this interview. I don't think there's one answer. I think uh, in the 20, second decade, the end of the second decade of the 21st century, it, it doesn't do anybody well to talk about Africa as one entity. 
There are 54 African states. Some are, some are big, some are small, some are richer, some are poor, some are quite democratic, uh, some are extremely authoritarian. And I think it's important to, 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 to almost go on a, on a state-by-state basis and see what real commonalities one has with different countries and 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 deepen those commonalities and establish long-term relations. Obviously, South Africa is a very important country uh, for Israel, a very important country for Africa. It's a country that Israel has a vested interest in improving relations with. Nigeria is such a country. Ghana has a very intriguing and positive democratic experiences. And therefore, one should uh, tighten relations with these countries. Uh, in a post-civil period, looking again at Cote d'Ivoire and, I repeat, Senegal uh, is important. So one has to begin to look at these countries as independent countries with their own needs and interests. Some of them are related to the parts of the continent and to the continent. But one has to understand that anything that is not based on mutuality is not going to endure. Certainly, uh, it's an interesting thing that you say, you know, the West African countries are not the same as the East African countries. South Africa has a, a very different history, and it might require a bit more of a tailored approach when it comes to Israeli diplomacy. What do you make, however, of some of the, the regional unions? You know, you've got uh, uh, SADC, you've got... Uh, the uh, not the OAU anymore, the African Union, uh, yeah, ECOWAS, uh, is, the African is, Union, right? Is, is it possible is to it make where at a, at a regional level? Right. Look, Israel has always been interested in coming back to the multilateral framework. Now, the AU, the African Union, is very important. It hasn't succeeded. And I agree with you definitely. Uh, ECOWAS is important. In West Africa, SADC in, in, in Southern Africa. Definitely multilateral as well. But I would apply the same rule. If there's not mutuality, there won't be sustainability in the relationship over time. And not to forget that these are relations between states and not between regimes. I think that gives much greater perspective over time, and one has to be a little humble, which Israel hasn't been, wasn't in the past. Now, I'd like to just switch tack. Uh, quickly and ask you something a little bit more domestic if you don't mind uh, you were interviewed in a different podcast um, or a, a radio show t- some time ago reflecting on the 20 years uh, since the uh, death of Yitzhak Rabin uh, I'm interested to your perspective uh, Rabin aside where do you see uh, left wing politics having gone uh, given that particular uh, episode as you were a Meretz MK and uh, someone very involved with, with the left wing in Israel. How do you see that part of politics uh, doing in Israel at the moment? Not well. Not well. I think uh, 
the failure of the Oslo process uh, has uh, contributed to the weakening of, of, of progressive politics in Israel, uh, to the uh, strengthening of the uh, more nationalistic elements in the Israeli public sphere, and uh, making it much, much more difficult uh, for opposition, uh, serious opposition, to act, uh, let alone succeed under current circumstances. What's perhaps, uh, in a sense, somewhat uh, more gratifying is, is the growth of civil society in Israel, that is, uh, trying to defend essential uh, democratic components of, of, of the Israeli political environment, but uh, uh, the left has, has not been doing well in the past uh, since about 2000. That was actually going to be my next question to you. I mean, you were the chairman of the, the New Israel Fund, and certainly some of the... Uh, I, I wasn't the chairman of, of anything. I was the chairperson. Chair, excuse me, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I take that. Uh, chairperson, that is a, a more appropriate. Uh, the real question I was going to ask is that, do you feel like somehow the work that's been done by the NGOs, which has been very prominent in Israel, uh, has somehow taken away from maybe some of the traditional roles played by opposition labor parties and and those sorts of actors? I'm sorry, uh, taken away from the traditional roles of parties? Yes. Is that your question? I'm not sure. No, but, but by the way, NGO activities is, is, is nonpartisan in terms of political parties. Uh, even the more progressive NGOs don't uh, necessarily identify with any one of the political parties as it should be. I want to emphasize. Um, I, uh, I, uh, there's been a growth in NGO activity, by the way, in other parts of the uh, political spectrum, also on the right uh, as well. I, I, I think the problem uh, in terms of political parties is the overall weakening of political parties in Israel, by the way, as in other parts of the democratic uh, world, uh, many people will be active in civil society. Uh, much fewer will deign to get their hands dirty in party politics. So, so in other words, you're saying that uh, the sort of energies and the intellects of, of our best activists, wherever they might be in the world, uh, towards uh, whatever activities are choosing not to go the party political route and instead uh, channeling their efforts into more civil society initiatives. Uh, I, I, yes, when, when it appears that formal politics... Um, is blocked or cannot be an avenue for significant uh, uh, change. But um, it, it's a fallback, uh, in a sense, or a substitute uh, for vigorous activity, and then becomes, and you're quite right, uh, part of the explanation 
for the weakening of the left, not only, again, in Israeli politics, but in many other parts as well. Do you think that perhaps the left could do better to pick on on issues, uh, you know, that maybe the electorate uh, could deal with? I mean, traditionally they've been good on, for example, the economy or you know, things other than security, which sometimes is seen as, uh, because of Oslo, not the left's best uh, card to play. Are there other issues that you think the left could be engaging with to help them get the popularity that they would need in an electoral context? By the way, that uh, has been at the forefront of uh, socioeconomic uh, change in Israel has gotten the credit often that it is due. But it's not a question of choosing an issue. Uh, many domestic issues are intricately related to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the tendency to constantly differentiate and and prioritize is probably a mistake. You can't, one cannot constantly skirt the question of a conflict. Okay. And and the idea of working with... And, and, oh, sorry. and gee, I have to interrupt you, but I really going to have to leave in a minute or so. Yes. Okay. People waiting outside my door. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. We're pretty much um, all done. Really, the the, the only thing uh, that I, I wanted to ask uh, further is, uh, you know, I was actually going to just ask about centrist uh, parties and if uh, there's actually not more support for the left than perhaps you are uh, alluding to. I actually think that um, a majority of Israelis but uh, want a a just and lasting settlement with the Palestinians. I think they uh, veer toward more progressive stances on domestic matters. And uh, frankly, they were in numerical, the center-left won the last uh, elections in absolute numbers. It did not succeed in uh, uh, forming a coalition because some center uh, parties uh, preferred uh, to go with the right, and that's why we have a predominantly right-wing government at the moment. But never, never lose faith in uh, the average Israelis' quite enlightened view of the world and willingness even eagerness to promote progressive causes. It's just much more difficult now. Well, on that note, I'd like to say thank you very much to Naomi Hazan for joining us on the new Blue Route. Thank you, Naomi. We really appreciate your time and expertise. And my uh, pleasure. And uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, more more stuff coming out on Africa and uh, other parts of, of Israeli society uh, from from your wonderful mind. Thank you, Benji. Take good care. Thank you so much. That was Naomi Khazan. She Bye. is from uh, she's from a variety of causes and uh, expert in Africa affairs. That brings us to the end of the show for today. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, please do. You can email us on benji at chai.co.za. That's B-E-N-J-I. Uh, you can tweet us uh, at chai.fm or at benji underscore shulman. Always happy to take your 
interesting criticisms and compliments, whatever they are. And uh, we will be speaking to you next week again on the new Blue Review.